Okay. I think we are alive now. Yes, we are alive. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Stock Unlock channel. We have Jake Ruth, who is the co-founder, one of the three co-founders of Stock Unlock. He's, uh, I'm a co-founder as well, just in case you didn't know that. And I think that this is his first time ever on YouTube. So that's exciting. We're going to talk to Jake today. We're basically just going to talk about stocks, um, the stock market, what we're building over here at Stock Unlock, and just basically hang out and answer some questions. So, um, Jake, would you like to introduce yourself at all to the YouTube for the first time? Yeah. Um, well, first time on YouTube. Hello. Uh, hopefully not the last. As Daniel said, my name is Jake. Uh, I am on some socials, though. So TikTok is my main channel. I have 42,000 followers over there much different medium so normally i'm doing like the short bird brained little quick videos for you um but yeah uh, it's been a wild journey the last two years uh i actually started as a viewer of daniel prompts uh youtube channel so it is a you know really fun full circle to be here with you uh live on the stock and lock channel Dude. so we'll probably get into some of that today i'm sorry but i have to interrupt you so can we can we talk about how this all got started actually Oh, what, the borderline harassment case that almost got filed against me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, COVID happens. Uh, just to give everyone a little bit more context of who I am, I am Jake, live in New York, so a little bit farther from Daniel. Daniel's in Canada, but of course, with the internet, we're all connected. So I've always been into investing, uh, kind of from a standpoint of mutual funds, ETFs. I've always really wanted to get into stocks. Uh, but relative uh, through the end of around 2018, 2019, they were still a bit confusing to me. And I eventually stumbled on Daniel Prompt's YouTube channel uh, during COVID uh, while I was just hiding from everything in my New York apartment. And Daniel's videos just really spoke to me right off the bat. Uh, as viewers of, as all of you guys probably watch his channel know, he sounds like a radio voice. It's very soothing, uh, very easy listening. But above all, the way that you break down concepts for stocks just blew my mind and specifically you put out three videos on how to analyze financial statements for the balance sheet, the cash flow, and income statement. I have never really followed anyone. I don't know celebrities. And in a kind of creepy way, I started following your account. Anytime your video came, I would watch it right away. So time goes on. You start making Excel sheets and things like that. And uh, I'll cut to the chase a little bit here. Just say that as an engineer, I started getting really excited in like a little kid nerdy way of seeing all these really inefficient things Daniel were doing. I was like, this guy's so smart. He should not be doing this. Uh, so I started writing programs. This guy still has no clue who I am to like automate Excel sheet generation, things like that uh, for dual purpose. One, I really wanted to help him out. But two, I was a little selfish and I wanted to get more templates to analyze stocks from him. Things like operating margin, revenue, gross profit, like what's the RIC, things like that. So I start hitting up Daniel. He does not answer me. I start commenting on every one of his YouTube videos. Hey, my name's Jake. I want to get in contact with you. No answer. So what do I do? I put the gas pedal on full throttle. I find his Facebook, Instagram, email. And once every week or two, it wasn't like incessant, right? Like I would work on the program more, send screenshots and like add more value to it. Cause I got more and more frustrated over time that you just, like you were too smart, right? Like I was going to save you eight hours a week. Like you can't, say no to saving eight hours a week. Uh, so it might make sense to maybe hop back to you and talk about how that was going on from your side until we could say I, I broke through the glass there. But there was definitely a few months of this random person on the internet just kind of aggressively reaching out to you with nice words, but like not stopping. So how did that feel in your shoes? Yeah, so on my end, what happened was, so 
that was when my YouTube channel was really, you know, popping off. It's kind of died down a little bit with the overall market and everything. So, but back then, like I could not read every comment. There was just no way, like I wouldn't be able to make videos if I was responding to all the comments. So never got to your comments. Um, honestly, didn't know that you were commenting on every video. That's kind of funny. But what happened was you started showing up in my email. You started showing up in my Instagram DMs and I would get like this random Facebook notification that was like, this dude wants to send you an e a message. I was like, okay, that's, a it's fine. It's fine. You know? But then like every two weeks, same story. This guy's back at the top of all of my, you know, social media inboxes and uh, in, in my uh, Gmail. So eventually after like, it was literally like two or three months, I was like, okay, this guy's very persistent. I'm, I got to just open one of these emails and see what's going on. And then I opened your email and I saw that you were building this program. It was really cool. So we, I finally got back to you and, um, that's really how the story of stock unlock started is like, we hopped on a video call, we hung out, talked about stocks, talked about the program you're building, talked about like what the future of, you know, a stock analysis platform could be. We decided that we wanted to build in, um, education and really make an educational platform that taught people about true long-term fundamental investing, not investing in hype or anything like that. And we really resonated on that goal. And we were like, you know what, let's do it. Let's build a whole platform. And that's really how it started. But yeah, from my side, I just saw you popping up in my inboxes. And I, I, I respected the, the persistency and the dedication to getting my attention. That's, that's why I responded. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for eventually responding. I very felt like I was tight rope walking where I didn't want to do too much to like because if you push someone over the edge, like you, you get deaded, right? Or like you start getting blocked. But then also if you're like not giving enough value, there's no reason to answer. So it's a very fine line to draw. You uh, found the balance well. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, no, so but I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy that all happened because for anyone who doesn't know, like me and Jake are pretty much best friends now, like literally talk every day. So, I mean, we're building stock and lock together and like, man. I wish Nick was here, but Nick is our third co-founder, absolute genius. And it's just incredible how far this platform has come in, you know, a year, almost, almost a year of being live, I think nine months. 100%. Uh, yeah. So there's so many likes to this story. So in addition yeah. to me reaching out to Daniel endlessly, there's, there is also more fuel being put into my fire outside of just wanting him to answer. Uh, so there is a third co-founder who is not on the call with us today. That is Nick, as Daniel said, uh, Nick, uh, we're, we're all incredibly smart. Uh, I don't like admitting that I'm not the smartest in the group, but I'll put myself at the lowest of the three out of us. Uh, Nick might be sitting on top there, but Nick and I were both software. I would agree. Yeah, Nick and I were both software engineers at Oscar Health, uh, which is a health insurance uh, software company in New York City. Uh, so I started sending Daniel's videos out in chat rooms in our work Slack. Uh, I had made a, a stock gambling channel, uh, not actually gambling, but it was just a funny name to get people to join it. Uh, and, you know, I was a big culture carrier at my last job. And Nick was one of the only people that actually kind of gave a darn uh, about these videos and also ended up being an investing. So while Nick and I were forming a close relationship over Daniel's videos, that other leg of the story was happening where I was giving Nick play by plays where I was reaching out to Daniel. Uh, two cute things about this, two fun facts. One, I was not trying to start a company. Like I had no plans leaving my job. I, I would be lying if... I were to say that I would not have told someone that that could have been a possibility, but that was not my goal. I really did not expect much to come out of this. Uh, another fun fact, it was not always called Stock Unlock. Uh, the old name used to be better. It was Stonk Reporter, S-T-O-N-K. 
Uh, thank you, Shane Kelly. Appreciate that. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Stonk Reporter, much better name, by the way. I'll still argue with co-founders about that, but we did end up changing it. Those uh, days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the first time we actually got into call, you know, Daniel answered the email. Uh, it's too deep to bring up. Oh, sir. Okay, sir. Corn dog. It's Buff. Oh, hey, Buff. Buff. Hello, Buff. Great to see you. Thank you uh, for showing support. Uh, I, I will never forget, Daniel, the first time we hopped on a video call because I was basically writing you essays. Uh, we should have brought it up. Maybe we could bring it up in another live. But the emails I sent to you, because the second you gave me one sentence answer in the first email, I just lost it and like wrote like this manifesto with like screenshots and like steps and like formatted the email. It took me like hours to write for, like everything we could fill. Yeah, but that's uh, that's yeah. what I mean is like, your dedication to getting my attention and what you were building. Like, you started building Stock Unlock what it is now without me or Nick. You just kind of started doing it on your own and were sending me, like, updates. And then it got to the point where I read the updates and I was like, this is really cool. And, like, I got FOMO almost. So I was like, I don't want to miss out on building something like this because it is cool. And, you know, I'm just always looking for projects and things to take on. And, um, yeah, I mean... If you asked me when we started this, when me, you, and Nick started this, I want to say like a year ago and like really got into stock and lock, like you guys left your jobs. I started devoting more of my time to building this platform. I mean, yeah, if you asked me where we would be now, um, I don't know if I would have said here. <laughs> it's just really incredible. And like, I can't thank everyone for their support on our platform enough. And, uh, you know, as I like to say, it's just the beginning. Yeah, it's a really crazy thinking back on it all. For, for me, one of the biggest moments was after that long email thread, we were like, okay, let's hop on a video call. And it was the first time we had ever talked to each other. Uh, that video call turned into over two hours of stock talk. Uh, we ended up cracking a beer uh, at the end of it. Uh, there was just like a very immediate uh, camaraderie of, you know, finding similar things ran to, as well as, you know, I had been in a COVID hole for months just reaching out to Daniel. So there was that whole side of it too, where it's like, wow. I can't believe this is happening. And one little dark note that I don't like to share too often, but it's good to be honest. Uh, it did take two or three months for you to answer me. I did start to like do the same like BS uh, with hitting up like other financial creators, but it never felt right. Like, do you know, like the vibes thing where like something feels right or not? Like I like went right. to reach yeah, uh, something someone called Austin uh, Hankwitz or Austin H. He, he's actually uh, an investor in a, another white combinator company called Finery. Hello, Marley. Hey, Marley. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the chat. Appreciate all of you. Um, and now I read the chat and I lost my train of thought. So first time on YouTube. Basically, what you were saying is <laughs> initially you were you were trying to cheat on me. <laughs> uh, let's word it this way. Uh, I was one way reaching out uh, to someone who was reciprocating no love. And as someone who felt very abandoned, I needed to find the love from someone. So I was, you know, kind of looking in the void and it felt bad. Like I was messaging other people because there was a point like you answered me once or twice and then you would go like you went dark for one month after that. So there was really real thoughts that I had. I don't know why I, I stuck with it so long. I'm just a maniac. Or was like, wait. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, everything everything works out. The other people didn't answer me anyway. And they all suck. So it's just yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's a fun founding story of this company and like how it how it evolved into what it is today. But at the heart of it all, like we really resonated over wanting to teach people about true long term investing, especially during that time last year where there was just so much speculation, like so much not good things being promoted in the financial world. In my opinion, you know. Um, 
yeah so it kind of just spawned out of that time just kind of the craziness that we saw and really just wanting to teach people about fundamental investing not just buying hype stocks and it was great i'm glad we 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 really resonated over that and built stock unlock and it's just going to continue getting better yeah uh hello manuel um yeah so i would love for the chat to interact with this next point because it's something that i feel passionate about but stemming off of all the stories of you know obviously that was how we got together but really looking at the landscape of all the tools available and all the hype in the market, there's something that's really annoyed me for the longest time. And I don't want to point a finger just at Motley Fool or just at Seeking Alpha or even Bloomberg, but there's a really predatory nature uh, from the industry at large out there on retail investors. If you look at any news feed, especially flashing back a year of stocks, it was this stock's going to the moon, all these stocks raised 60%. This one's in Buffett's portfolio. This one's in Peter Lynch's portfolio. Uh, oh, like, here's how you trade options. Like, you need to diversify with crypto. It, it really makes you, like, raise an eyebrow, right? So I'd love to hear stories from people that have felt that they have been preyed on by some of these companies. But I was starting to get fed up where I didn't actually find any place, one, that I could trust to analyze stocks, two, that was, like, usable for me as, like, someone who, like, wasn't a financial professional, and then three, that was at a cost point that was fair. Uh, so there were all these problems that, started like really jumping in my face and you know as a creator and engineer i just really felt like there was something missing in the marketplace i'm not sure if you had similar thoughts there daniel um i know that you're on the youtube scene it's hard not to get caught up in the hype sometimes yeah um as i said on my main channel um there was about a month or two where i you know i did get caught up in all that hype because it's just what was getting clicks and views and yeah i think that was right around the time where me and you started talking actually and i'm glad I'm glad I got out of that, dude, because it is tempting. It is tempting to just like, you know, push the hype stocks and get all that attention, but it's not really what's best, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, is uh, Kathy Wood going to come up at all? I mean, we got Zoom, we got Palantir. Uh, I feel that there is a bad tendency, especially amongst retail investors, to, in- and I'm not trying to point figures right now, by the way, but to invest in things that, uh, quote, you don't understand. And just to pick this up apart a bit more, if you were to invest in a bakery shop that, creates bagels. Obviously, this is a big example, but it probably won't take someone too much time to understand how bagels are made, where they're sourced, what their competitors are, and to like really understand that business. Uh, I know you love Canadian railroad companies, so I think that's in that bucket too. But when we look at companies like Facebook or like Palantir, uh, and maybe we'll have differing opinions here, uh, even as someone who writes code for a living, and this applies to chip companies as well, I find it so hard to like really, truly understand all the dynamics that make those companies work from the tech that they're building, the engineers they have to hire, uh, technological advancements and where things are going to be in five or 10 years. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess to simplify what you're saying is it's hard to understand those companies' moats. Yeah. And I would I would agree with you. Like as, you know, someone like you're the, you're the super engineer. I don't know. You know, I have trouble making links. <laughs> that's that's my extent of, you know, coding <laughs> whatnot. But so... Yeah, for me to understand, you know, a company like Palantir, it's it's really challenging for me. And that's why, as you said, I love my Canadian railroad stocks because I understand those businesses, you know. Goods got to get moved across Canada. Goods got to get moved across North America for the economy to work. The best way to do that is through rail. So as long as there's things moving around the economy, railroad companies are going to have business. And like in Canada, we have two railroads. That's it. We have two. That's it. Um and for a new competitor to enter the Canadian railroad space, think about what they would have to do. 
they would have to build a, a, a rail network across the country that can compete with the two large companies. That would involve so much initial investment and no profits for so long. And you're competing against these two companies that have all the clients, all the customers. So in my opinion, there's no way that there's going to be another railroad company that enters Canada. There's going to be two. There's always going to be two because there can't be one. And that's it. So as long as goods are moving around the economy, those are the companies that are going to be there. And they're probably going to be there for another hundred plus years. It's very simple, right? Very same moat. Exactly. Very simple, very large moat. Like when you talk about a moat, that is the largest mode I can think of is the Canadian railroad companies. That's it. You know, best mode I can think of. Should we, uh, pull them up in stock and lock? I, I don't mind doing a screen share, uh, yeah. um, and their insights. Let me figure this out. I'm sorry, everyone. Share screen. I, I think I could do it. I could do it from my side too. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's working. Got it. Okay. Here we are in that stock unlock. I can no longer see you, Jake. I'm sorry. It's all good. You're not, you're not missing much. Uh, I, I look the same as I did five minutes ago. A little, a little older. <laughs> uh, is, uh, so we had a Thomas Sparnick ask, uh, is there competition between them? So that's a good question to get into between these two railroad companies. I'll also add another weird angle to this one too. Uh, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. We're going into the, the year 2023. Yep. Railroad is a moat now, but what when Amazon brings in drone fleets or Tesla's boring company starts to figure out very quick, cheap ways to go underground, right? I think... There is a futuristic kind of off uh, angle you could take on this where, hey, in five or 10 years, are railroads still going to have that moat? Are there not going to be other types of technology that go in and take that place? Um, I think, I mean, I would always say yes, that, that is a risk. But I would say right now at this moment, it's not a large enough risk for me to really consider. Um, I mean, for example, just take a look at the sheer amount of goods that a train can move in one load. It's like hundreds of those massive railroad carts. Um, I don't think a drone is going to be able to do that. I think drone is going to be able to, you know, lift single packages from a warehouse to a building. Because, man, if a drone could carry as much as a train, that'd be a big freaking drone. Hey, like a... Do you know like those videos in like the desert where they show like the huge swarms of like the millions and millions of like the cockroaches or whatever i'm thinking like of a million drone swarm like a big amazon army this kind of no, laughing okay. the sky jake no not i don't think that's going to happen anyways <laughs> um so to, to answer the question to answer the question about competition between railroads they're definitely competing for the business um i'm going off memory here but i think that canadian pacific is more prevalent on the west coast of canada um, like Alberta and BC, for example, I don't see like just personally, I don't see too much CNR. I see a lot of CP trains out here though on the West. So I do think, I do think that they are competing for sure. They're, they're definitely competing, but can we compare I, them in the insights tab? Oh, absolutely. We can. That sounds like, yeah. Cause we had, uh, we had Thomas Barnick asked about the competition. So I think comparing both of these companies side by side and insights is going to be a good way to do that. Uh, hello Esteban. It's great to see you here. We really appreciate all your support across the discord and everything. And uh, Lincoln Woods, hello, welcome to the chat. Uh, yes, caught up in M MSO gang, right? Yeah, uh, right with you there, man. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but happy you found uh, Daniel also stock and lock, and uh, you know we're we're forming a nice community over here. We're all learning together. Absolutely. Um. Okay. So before we get into the insights, comparing CNR versus CP. Um, CNR is on the left, CP is on the right. CP just did a massive acquisition. 
So when you go to their financial health and you see that the shares are increasing by 40%, this is because the company just did a, like a very large acquisition and um, had to dilute to afford it. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I think a good note on that too is whenever you're viewing metrics too, one of the most fun things about investing is you can't really take things at face value, right? So uh, on the surface, it, it is true. Usually that's bad, but then in this specific case, it makes sense because it was a merger. And those are some of the things that really opened up my eyes as you start to peel back more layers of the onion per se. And uh, good morning from Brazil. I uh, love to have you here. Good morning, Sophie. Uh, another great supporter. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So exactly what you said. And that's why the stock unlock insights, like this isn't meant to be a buyer or a sell recommendation. It's just meant to highlight things that, you know, investors should know about, care about, and maybe dig into more. Like for example, right here, if you see that CP is increasing their share count by 39%, that's a very large amount in a year. So then you can go and be like, okay, why did that happen? Like stock unlock shows you that happened. And then you can kind of dig into why is this happening? What are they doing there? Um, but initially, you know, shares increasing by 39%, that is bad. That's a lot. So it's good to know about. Anyways, <laughs> these, <laughs> so these companies, in terms of profitability, CNR does look like they are more profitable, you know? Um, they got the higher free cash flow margin right now at 26%. That's a, that's a, actually, that's a big cash flow margin. I'm loving these. This is very good profitability. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you take a look at CP, free cash flow margin is not as high. Cash conversion is not as high. So cash conversion, what that means is the net income or the earnings for the business, only 46% of it for CP is actual cash earnings. It's actual cash flow. So. And when you compare that to CNR, it's almost 80% of their earnings is actual cash flow. That's why that's very good. Um, in terms of I've learned, uh, just leaving on that for one more second, one okay. thing I've learned about profitability, which is crazy, is a company doesn't need to be a five to be great. For example, Amazon has been reinvesting all their cash. So if you only analyze them from a profitability standpoint as a fundamentals investor, you might have said, this company doesn't have good cash conversion, all that, but there's just so much more to the story. Uh, Thank you for letting me cut you off there. Oh, absolutely, man. Anytime. And a shout Sorry. out. To <laughs> we got uh, Dutch car videos. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate your support as well. We try to keep it super honest here in Burton. Uh, it's great to meet you. Um, we need maglev trains in Canada to fuel bombardier growth. Interesting. I'm not sure if you know about that, Daniel. But um, actually, you know what? I, I don't I don't know too much about maglev. I know that's technology that they use over in Asia quite a bit, like high speed trains, I believe. Which, by the way, why doesn't North America have more high-speed trains? Really unfortunate. Stuck in the past. I know. Anyways, we're going to take a look at these two businesses' yield on cost because I think that this is a really cool metric for dividend growth investors. And let's just zoom out all the way to the year 2002. So right here, we can see that CNR's dividend yield on cost all the way back to 2002 is 27% versus CP's 13%. Now, what is interesting about these two companies when I get asked about them, so if we head over here to CNR, this company has a dividend yield of 1.9%, okay? If we head over to CP, this company has a dividend yield of only 0.78%. So the main difference between CP and CNR, they're like, the businesses have both been growing kind of similarly in terms of their fundamentals. CP is growing a little bit more quickly, but CNR pays out more of their cash flow as a dividend and then cp instead of paying out a dividend they spend a lot more money on share buybacks so for a dividend or an income investor who wants like dividends income in their portfolio dividend growth 
I think CNR is the better stock for that. But if you're a growth investor, then I think CP is the better option because again, they, they, they spend more of their cash flow on buying back shares, which increases the share price more over time. I have a question for you, Daniel, especially for our viewers here. A company can do share buybacks, you know, meaning they're literally buying back shares. That's good because then you own more of the pie by not doing anything. Uh, another way to give back to shareholders is by dividends because obviously that's just direct cash to you. Um, how do you think about those two and compare them? Because I find myself sometimes even confused of our share buybacks better and our dividends better. And I don't think there's a clear answer. I'd love to, you know, hear your thoughts on that. I don't think <clears throat> it all depends on what your goal is as an investor. Like if you're a dividend investor, who wants dividend income, then you probably will not prefer share buybacks because all a share buyback does is it puts upward pressure on the stock price by removing shares. So if you want income and dividend in, sorry, dividend income in your portfolio, then share buybacks won't really achieve your goal. So as an investor, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, what is your goal? Like, what do you want out of your portfolio? And that's why I say with CNR, if you're more of a dividend income investor, then CNR is probably the better option, not financial advice, just my opinion. <laughs> and um, because it pays a higher dividend and it has more dividend growth because that's where the company focuses its cash flow. Whereas CP, um, if you don't really care about dividend income and you, you just want more growth in your portfolio, then it focuses more of its cash flow on buying back shares and growing the, sh the stock price. So yeah, again, it just kind of depends on what your goal is in your portfolio. Although I will say that typically, a lot of companies do share buybacks at times where it, the stock is like really high and you're not really getting, you know, a, a great yield on that, on those buybacks. So it's, it, it, that's my opinion. I don't know if that helps a lot. I, I think that helps. And to do like a very quick summary, it's like it, it is hard to say what's better or worse. And it depends on what type of investor you are. It, uh, if you, do you want the cash flow coming in from the investments or do you care more about share appreciation? Exactly. Yeah. And for myself, <clears throat> I hold all of my dividend stocks basically in tax deferred accounts. So I'm not taxed on the dividend, sorry, the dividend income. Um, if you're a dividend investor, that's definitely something you have to consider is you are being taxed on your dividends. And that's going to change from country to country. Here in Canada, I believe I got taxed something like 20% on my dividends last year. So when I, sorry, I should say I would have been taxed because I'm in a tax deferred account on my dividends. But if I were taxed on my dividends, it would have been 20%. So my dividend income would have actually been lower because I'm paying tax on them. So that's also something you got to consider. You're not taxed on share buybacks. So a lot of investors do prefer buybacks because it's basically a tax-free return to you as the investor. I love that. We we, uh, we like to avoid taxes, I guess, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm taking a look at CNR versus CP's share price since 2002 over the past 20 years. And you can see right here, CP has grown slightly faster over the past 20 years. What about over the past decade? Wow, CP has really grown faster over the past decade. Huh. Yeah, over the past five years. Really, over the past five years, it's really grown faster. So, interesting. Interesting, yeah. LBC, if those uh, lines start to cross a little bit over time. They're only growing revenue slightly faster, though. CNR grew revenue faster over the past decade. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. Yeah, we're getting uh, some comments in the live too that they're uh, definitely with agreement that there's a lot of growth out there, potentially even connecting all of North America, which uh, <laughs> sounds like a pretty big moat to me. I mean, you move a lot of stuff around the continent. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, we're like me just speculating right now. Speculation mode, don't know what I'm talking about. Let's just whatever, right? Um, 
it kind of seems like the world is going through this period where nations are starting to decouple from each other. Like we had a globalization and now it kind of seems like we're having a little bit more deglobalization. And selfishly, as a Canadian, I think this is great for Canada because we have so much natural resources that right now, a lot of other countries like the United States, for example, they may be getting some natural resources from Asia or China. And then if they don't want to do as much business with those countries in the future, well, Canada's their next largest, well, yeah, one of their largest trading partners. So they may get more resources from Canada, which would be a good thing for our railroads and our economy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, uh, not, not to change the subject too much, but I mean, Europe is definitely in a very uh, hard place right now in terms of where their resources are coming from, obviously, and a lot of the inflation that's been going on the power uh, there. So it's, it's going to be super interesting to see. I mean, like the next five or 10 years, uh, you know, as as the technology exponential growth curve goes and, you know, human advancement, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, like what is the main source of power in five or 10 years? Where are people getting it? And then is that a good thing for Canada to have all those resources? Does that make you more of a target? Like not to turn this into like a politics show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't predict the future. I know you can't predict the future. I, I do agree with you, though, that looking at the current landscape of things, Canada is definitely a bit of an oasis for sure in terms of being self-sufficient and all that, which, as you said, is becoming increasingly important as some like geopolitical uh, tensions increase. Uh, supply chains are all, you know, all over the place from COVID. So we're really in uncharted territory here. It makes you try to find those stops going back to what I was saying at the beginning of this show that you want to be able to understand them, right? Like you can, anyone could probably study and understand a railroad company. I don't think anyone could study and understand like Intel, uh, for example, or uh, these stocks that just go super, super deep into tech. Uh, it's been making me as an investor lately, you know, flock to things that I truly feel that I could understand. Um, yeah, I yeah. think I think it was Warren Buffett who said, the more boring the investment, the better. Or that might have been Peter Lynch. I'm just going. I, I think it was Peter Lynch with like his Taco Bell thing. It went from like yeah. $7 to $1. Yeah, actually, it's like not buying it up. <laughs> yeah, actually, in one up in Wall Street, he said the perfect company, the perfect stock has a boring name. No one wants to own it because, you know, you're not paying a premium for excitement. You're just getting a good business that's super boring, not exciting, not, 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 sorry, not attracting a lot of attention. And that's what he loves because it typically sells at a discount. Seems nice. So, uh, I guess to, uh, to, to, to wrap up here, um, what are like some of the stocks that you've been looking at recently, like getting excited about, uh, anything to like leave us off here of like things that like we could research as retail investors or like better ways to like look for value out there, especially with volatility. Uh, being incredibly high. Like we also saw how the market closed yesterday. It was like kind of going up and then just steep sell off, which, you know, probably is big hedge funds, like moving things around and stuff, not retailers, but uh, we still deal with it. So yeah, like any advice like you have for, uh, you know, chumps like me, who are like writing a lot of computer code and stuff that might not, you know, be researching the market all day, but at least we have stock and lots to save time on that. Yeah, you're right. We do. <laughs> um, so what I've been noticing and where I've kind of been dollar cost averaging more right now is um, financials because people, there's this general consensus that we're heading into a massive recession, right? Like where there's this massive recession coming up. So a lot of people have sold off their financial stocks, like the Canadian banks, for example, they're some of the best banks in the world. They're now selling below their, their historical average price to earnings ratios. They all just reported earnings. In my opinion, the earnings were fine. The companies are not going under. Everything's okay. Um, so I've been... I've been dollar cost averaging financial stocks more. And if they continue going down, I'll just continue buying them. It's fine. Um, and then also real estate, because people think rightfully so, in my opinion, 
that higher interest rates is going to slow down the real estate market. Um, home prices are going to come down. So REITs, their book value is going to come down. And when their book value comes down, their asset value comes down. They have to report losses in towards net income. Now, these losses don't affect cash flow. These, these losses are all non-cash losses. So cash flows are not going to really be harmed, in my opinion. But people are going to see net income was negative $100 million. And what you're going to see when that happens, in my opinion, is headlines. This company lost $100 million this quarter. Oh my goodness. Like this read is falling apart. It's not profitable anymore. Then you go and take a look at the cash flow statement and you take a look and you're like, cash is still coming in. Everything's fine. Non-cash losses, right? So I'm finding REITs out there right now that are selling 20 to 25% below book value. Operating cash flow is continuing to grow. They're selling at low priced operating cash flows right now. And dividend yields are getting up to like 6% because I don't think a lot of people want to own real estate right now. And the market's kind of sold off real estate. What, what is the word for this? In the foresight, I guess, that real estate's not going to be good over the next few years. So I think that the stock prices have come down to a point where I think they're very attractive. I'm buying what no one else wants, essentially. I, I love that mindset. Uh, so are there any, I, I guess it would be really cool if there was a public sto uh, playlist on stock unlock or public watch lists rather. Uh, for REITs. I'm not sure if that exists, but uh, it does. I think I made also one. sweet. Yeah, we can. Uh, uh, if you're on our stock unlock mailing list, uh, you know, we could shoot that out or hop into our discord. So we can start talking about REITs there. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to highlight, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, may maybe a good note to end on with some of these just like big themes. One thing I really want to double click on that you said is I'm going to uh, not exactly quote you, but slowly be buying and putting shares into this over time. That is important. So just to take the term out of that, dollar cost averaging, buying stocks over time with not, um, basically not huge chunks of money, generally, and this again is not financial advice, is generally safer than just loading the boat with one buy. I think one mistake I made in 2020 slash 2021, definitely, you know, we're all human getting caught up in the hype a bit. Let's say I had X dollars to invest and maybe I had a five month horizon. If I saw a good deal, I might've put just like half of my money into it. I was like, this is great. Uh, and, you know, that could end up being good or bad, but there is a lot of maturity that comes with the patience of buying a little bit at a time over time. Uh, if you look at statistics and math, there are mathematical arguments you could make that that style of investing tends to uh, be a little bit more consistent and like less volatile um, or le again, less risky than just loading load the boat, as we would say. Uh, yes, Daniel. <laughs> I, have a, I have a comment. <laughs> Oh, comment away. <laughs> there's there's a member of our Discord called man. I always get their name wrong, and I feel so bad. It's Gene. That's how, and they've told me how to pronounce their name in the past, and I'm having a blank right now. So if you're watching, Gina, Gina Bars. Yeah, I'm sorry for pronouncing your name wrong because I know I am. Um, so me and me and him have this private conversation going, and we're doing tests on dollar cost averaging versus lump sum investing versus only buying stocks when the price to earnings ratio is below a threshold. And it is almost scary how good a dollar cost averaging is. And just buying every single month, whenever you can, with whatever cash you can get, it is incredibly hard to outperform just dollar cost averaging. And even when you do, it's like this very specific thing that we calculate out and it beats it by like half a percentage point. And it's like, why don't you just take out all of that nonsense and just dollar cost average. And also, I think it's very good for controlling your emotions and taking the emotions out of investing and just because the emotions of investing, like you are your biggest enemy in the market. 
So if you can commit to just dollar cost averaging, you remove all of that like emotion. You don't have to care about, oh, is the stock market high right now? Is it low? If it is either one, you're just going to buy. So you, it just makes, it makes it so much easier. So yeah. Have you guys ever done private lending? Uh, short answer is no, but uh, definitely reach out on our dis discord uh, email. And we could take that farther. I'm not too sure. I think I, where that question's going. Oh, you, oh, okay. Well, I'm just speaking for myself. <laughs> I think I technically have, yes. Sweet. Well, this is getting me very excited to dollar cost average, maybe find some REITs. Uh, I'm definitely going to check out that playlist. We got Bert, uh, Burton dropping some names in here too, as well as Daniel Workman. Uh, I recognize that picture avatar, actually. Nice to see you again. Uh, yeah, man, just uh, you know, really excited for the market. So on Monday, keep learning, keep using Stock and Lock. Uh, if anyone's here and has not checked out Stock and Lock, uh, you can go to stockandlock.com. We are two out of the three founders of this company, and we are building this every week for endless time. We are not going to stop adding more value to this site. This is just the beginning. Uh, there's thankfully, and we're very appreciative of this, over 1,000 paying customers who trust us every day. Uh, we do not take that uh, for granted. And you know, we're just here really riding. This is our passion. This is our motivation. For those of you who have been here since the beginning, you've heard a little bit more about our story. And we just want to thank you for supporting us to allow us to do this. We're going to try to do these lives a little bit more often. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll, um, I guess, Daniel, I'll let you say closing comments. This is my first time on YouTube, so I'm not sure exactly how to end the stream. Uh, Killing it. But, you're, you're doing uh, great. Wow. Amazing well, work. Incredible. Um, I'm just going to answer Burton's question really quick because it's, it's a quick question. Why is stock unlock priced in US dollars? The company is actually based in the US. Um, it's not a Canadian business, so it accepts currency in US dollars. And um, sorry, I just got a notification. And also, we sell, what is it, to like 30 or 40 countries now? We have members in 30 to 40 countries around the world. And it's about 40 countries. And we, we do sell on Canadian uh, currency and Euro currency, uh, depending on where you are geolocated when you're making the purchase. Yeah, but um, it's priced in US dollars because that's just like the global currency right now. You know, it's the reserve currency. It's a lot easier for people to understand and accept US dollars around the world than Canadian dollars. So that's why. Thank you. Anyway, I just wanted to answer that question quick. But yeah, thank you to everyone for tuning into the live stream. We really appreciate it. Um, let us know if you want us to do this maybe once every two weeks or so. Maybe, maybe once a week. We'll see. And it's just fun to interact and hang out. So yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Have a beautiful weekend. Happy stomping. <laughs>